Well, let's go back to our passage tonight, Ephesians chapter 5, and let's pick up and let me just read verse 18, uh, verses 18 through 21 again together. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, This morning we looked at what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And uh, I think there's a whole lot of people, and and I hope it helped you this morning. There's probably a whole lot of people that when they think of being filled with the Spirit, they picture it as that filling of the glass. But uh, it helped me, at least in studying it, to be reminded of that it's, it's that, that picture of the wind in the sails, the permeation uh, throughout, and the domination. It's, it's, the, it's the leading and the saturating uh, of your life and, and, uh, and God being in control of even your emotions and submitting to Him. Uh, tonight, I want to... Uh, then go on to, after we are doing what it is, what it takes to be filled with the Spirit, that continual in the process of being filled, that yielding our lives completely to Him, depending on Him completely for all things, and then being obedient in our everyday life, then what are the results? What does it look like? So what does a Spirit-filled person look like? Well, let me give you at least three tonight. We'll hopefully maybe get to uh, five or six uh, as we go throughout the course of the night. Three of those are in our text, and then I've gone outside of our text to to pull out just two or three more uh, tonight. But uh, these are not exhaustive, but at least this is a start. Um, I briefly covered the issue of tongues um, this morning, and, uh, you know, tongues is a controversial issue. And I won't get into a whole lot of it. I kind of shared with you where I think the Scripture lands, and I shared with you this morning where I land. Um, I don't think it's something that we're instructed to seek after. I think more than that, we're instructed to seek after being filled with the Spirit and let the Spirit distribute gifts and fill as He sees fit and leave leave that up to Him. God wants to do something. God's going to do it, Right? What am I going to do to stop that or, or to bring that about? I mean, he's God. I'm not. And so I, I want us to look tonight not at the issue of tongues, but at these other maybe results that are probably more common. Um, first off, the Spirit puts a song in our hearts that has to be sung. That's what it says there in verse 19. After he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He goes on and he says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Um, This is probably nowhere more clear in the Scripture than in Acts chapter 16. Um, Maybe you recall the story. Paul and and Silas um, are going through um, the area... And uh, they encounter this girl who is demon-possessed. And uh, she's following them around. And she begins to call out, listen to them. They're from the, the, the Most High God. And she's calling out all these things. 
And Paul turns and rebukes her. Paul turns and not only rebukes her, but he turns and casts the demon out of her. Now, when I first read that, I remember thinking, but wait, she was telling the truth. I mean, she was doing a a good thing, really, saying, listen to them. They're preaching for the God most high. But Paul turns and rebukes and casts out the demon anyway. Well, why does he do that? He does that, I think, in large part because um, the gospel cannot be polluted with other, other things. Uh, you don't want the, the credit for the gospel going to something other than God. And uh, when, a, when a demon-possessed girl, it's as if Satan is trying to somehow hone in on the action, dilute it, and then take it down. And so he casts, he casts the demon out of the girl. Well, the, uh, this particular girl was making quite a lot of money for some men in the area. They, were, they, they owned her. She was a slave girl. And she would tell fortunes and all these sort of things. People came and paid money. And when the demon was cast out of her, that ability was gone. And so uh, and, and we, could get in, we could spend a whole lot of time talking about how does a demon empower someone to um, make it look like they're telling the future and all that sort of thing. But we won't get into that. Maybe that's for another night. But she no longer has this ability. And so they become irate. The people of the city become irate. And this is what happens. I want to show it to you from the passage. Um, Let me just find Acts 16, somewhere down probably around 18, 19. uh, And it came about that very hour. Uh, But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews. They are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in, attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, when's the last time that happened to you for, for living for Christ? Going about your business and have someone drag you before the court. They rip your clothes off. They beat you and they throw you into prison. Not just the prison, but into the inner prison, fastening you in stocks. It's never happened to me. Um... I pray that it never does, but I also pray that if it does, that God, and I know I would, I would find God's grace to be sufficient in the midst of that. I I have to imagine, though, I've thought about that several times. If that were me, I don't know that I would have had the same reaction that they did. Their reaction is priceless. It's unexplainable other than being filled with the Spirit. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. The story goes on and the jailer is converted out of this. The jailer is saved out of this. And it says even that all the prisoners were listening to them and that none of them fled when the doors were opened, giving really a clue that all of the prisoners were converted that night listening to Paul and Silas sing this song that the Spirit gave them that had to be sung. 
Only the Spirit can cause that. Only the Spirit in you can cause you to sing in the midst of terrible times. Only the Spirit can fill you with that song. And guess what? It has to be sung. It has to be sung. And, and I wonder, you know, there are times when um, I've shared often about, you know, driving down the road, people think I'm crazy because I'm singing all the time and, and all this sort of thing. Um, there are times when, when worship through song just spontaneously has to come out of you. If you're a believer, it, it does. Even if you don't have the best voice in the world, you'll find yourself sometimes doing that. I wonder sometimes, though, when I come in here on Sunday mornings and I listen to us sing, there's a lot of people that don't seem very joyful. There's a lot that do. I mean, but, but I would probably not want to be in the choir because of looking out and seeing some of the reaction. The reality is that in this room on Sunday mornings, there are those that are saved and are filled with the Spirit and have a song that has to be sung. And then the reality is that there are some that are in this room that are lost. They're not Spirit-filled. And then there are some that are in the middle that, that are saved but have neglected Ephesians 5.18 to continually be in the state of being filled, and that's why they have no song to be sung. Ethan's job on Sunday morning is not to, not to whip us up. His job is not to come in and, and this is our pep rally. And he is to drum up this emotional response or this emotional singing. True worship is what comes out of a life lived with and for God. True worship comes out of seeing God in all of his glory and seeing yourself in all of your sinfulness. And being like Isaiah saying, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips living among a people of unclean lips. And realizing that the angel had flown to the altar and taken the coal from the altar and touched your lips. It's the picture of the atonement of Christ. That you have been forgiven much. And no longer are you an unclean person. Because you have had the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. And boy, song just comes out of that. I loved going to lunch today and hearing my son say, Boy, our music was really good today. But you know what, I, I, I think more than him saying, well, I liked the guitar or I liked the drums, I think, I think in his heart, I think he knows that the lyrics are what happened to him. That he knows that his God is mighty to save. That our God hides us in the cleft of the rock. That regardless of what we go through, we can sing, it is well with my soul. You know, I mean, that's, that's good. When you're living a spirit-filled life, the spirit puts a song in your heart that just has to be sung. It's what Colossians 3.16 is talking about when it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Those are things that are to be in the life, in the lives of Christians, particularly corporately. James 5.13 says, Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. 
And it's not talking about this fake put-on singing. It is this joyful, heartfelt praise. If it was just this fake, put-on, drummed-up singing, then, then we could do all sorts of things to drum that up. I mean, we, we, could, I mean, we could just do all sorts of things and make it extremely emotional and really play to that. But we don't. Ethan intentionally, when we sit down together, we intentionally choose songs that express the heart of the Christian the heart that's filled with the Spirit. So the Spirit puts a song in our hearts that just has to be sung. Secondly is the Spirit, the second response or the second um, um, outcome of a Spirit-filled life is the Spirit gives gratitude that expresses deep trust in a sovereign, loving Father. It's what, it, what we see in verse 20. He says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's some words in that that are pretty hard to swallow. I mean, if you just read past that, you say, boy, isn't that just a sweet verse? Why don't we memorize that next month? But when you start looking at it and you break it down and it says, giving thanks always and for everything? Well, that's tough. You go over to Japan right now and you read that scripture to them. You say, well, then does that mean that that verse is not true? No. You find a group of Christians in Japan right now. And you read that verse to them and they will say, oh, we know. Because even in the midst of this, they are able to... Thank their God. Giving thanks always. 1 Thessalonians 1-2. Paul models this. He says it multiple times. In 1 Thessalonians 1-2, he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, uh, for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly in the love of everyone of you for one another is increasing. He's always thanking God for them. He's constantly thanking God for them. He says this multiple times where he is always thanking God. I wonder, is that the testimony of your life? Is your first thought when you wake up in the morning, thank you, God? And I got to be honest with you, it's not always my first thought. Guess what? Because my sanctification's not finished yet. I'm still in this flesh. I thank God that I'm thankful more than I once was. But I long to be more and more and more thankful as the days go by. I want to be thankful for simple things. I want to be thankful for a coffee maker. You know, I, I want to be, be thankful for... A wife and children and a home and vehicles and friends and a church to pastor and all of this. I, I want to be thankful for all of those things all the time. I, I want that to be the story of my walk with Christ. It gets a little more difficult, though, when he says, and for everything. 
In Philippians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21, uh, Paul is again relaying how he is in prison. And while he is in prison, there are some who are out there preaching, and those who are preaching are preaching from one of two motives. There are those who are preaching because they have, they have heard the gospel and truly been converted and know that they must also preach the gospel. And Paul says, I thank God for that. Paul also says there are those that are preaching from the motive of wanting to add harm to him, knowing that if they turn up the heat on this preaching the gospel thing all the more, that Paul's in prison for this and it will impact him. And they will take out their frustration and their rage on Paul. And so he's got two sides. And he says, in all this, I thank God. Let me just read it for you. Um, He says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You've got to understand, that's not being written by somebody sitting in a plush office somewhere, getting ready for the 1030 service and going to walk out and preach to people who have voluntarily come there and it won't cost them much of anything. They'll sit and they'll listen and he, he'll just go right back to business as usual. This is written by someone who at that current time was chained to a Roman guard. His freedom stripped away from him. Every hour, they would bring another Roman guard in, and they would chain him to another Roman guard. (laughs) Paul just saw it as an opportunity to witness to the Roman army. Every time they'd bring him another guard, he'd just tell him about the gospel. He rejoiced in that. Where does that come from? It comes from someone who is filled with the Spirit. Job 1, I made mention of it earlier in my prayer when Job was afflicted, when Satan took everything from him, save his wife and his life. Job's response is, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That comes from a person who, even in the Old Testament, even in the Old Testament, before the Spirit indwelt believers, is somehow, in the sovereignty of God, filled with the Spirit of God to be able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Even in that, can you imagine what that must have been like to lose lose all of your livelihood, to, to lose everything, to lose your children, to lose your home, to lose everything, and still to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gave, the Lord take away. James chapter 1, verse 17, this was particularly poignant as I studied this. Uh, this is a familiar verse. James 1, 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. <laughs> 
I think most of my life, when I have come across that particular verse, I have pictured it as meaning every good gift, meaning every time I eat a meal, every time I have clothes, every time I have a house, every time, you know, these good things, every time I get a paycheck, all of those things, all those are from God. But that the bad things that came into my life, that those weren't from God, those weren't That wasn't a good gift from God. But when you back up and you look at the context surrounding that verse in James chapter 1, it's in the same context where James says, Consider it all joy when you endure trials. And what James is saying here for us is that even, even those bad things, even tragedy that comes into your life, is in the group of good gifts from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow due to change. Even the good things. I made a statement to you a couple of weeks ago and nobody's come and asked me about it. But I I made the statement. I said, if God is sovereign, then even when those bad things come into your life, whatever it is, it is perfect for you. And that's true. If God is in the business of conforming us to his image, he will use even even the things that are seemingly evil to bring about that. It doesn't mean that he commits evil. It doesn't mean that he wants us to sin. But he will use the fallenness of this world to bring about our Christ-likeness. Get your mind around that. That is a big, heavy thought. It means that even the tragedy in Japan right now, God will use even that to bring about his purpose and to bring about his glory. That's why Romans chapter 8, I want to read this long section to you because I think it will help us when we look at things that happen like the, th- the tragedy in Japan. Uh, Romans 8, verse 18 down through 30. Let me just read this. And I want you to think about all of the tragedy that happens and all of this and think about the sovereignty of God in the midst of it. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. This Everything that you and I know and see in our universe is... It's as if it's groaning with pains of childbirth, waiting for the day when it will be born again, made new, redeemed, recreated, the consummation of redemption. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. He's talking about there our glorification when we have new bodies. For in this, in this hope we were saved. 
Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Look, we, we better know that there is coming a day when things will be made right. Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. We better know that. That's what will keep us holding on. When we wait patiently and eagerly for the day when, when the clouds be rolled back like a scroll. The Lord shall descend. That's the day we're waiting for. That's what he's talking about here. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. Living a life filled with the Spirit means that the Spirit will put a gratitude in us that expresses deep trust in a sovereign, loving, heavenly Father. That we would thank Him always and for everything. Third, the third thing I want to show you tonight is that the Spirit gives humility that puts us in our place. The Spirit puts a song in us that has to be sung. The Spirit gives us a gratitude that expresses deep trust in a sovereign, heavenly Father. And then third... The Spirit gives humility that puts us in our place. In verse 21, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what Paul's talking about in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, when he says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. In the rest of Ephesians chapter 5, in our section that we're in, when he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And he goes down and he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Some would take that to mean, well, look, that just means this blanket submission. That just means that we're supposed to walk in and we're supposed to just, everybody's, everybody's better than us. There's no, there, there, there's no structure here. There can be no government here. There, no, one's, no one's in charge. No one's to lead. Well, that's just, that's just chaos. That would just be anarchy. There has to be some sort of system of governing the body of Christ. And so he goes on after he says submitting to one another in reverence for Christ. Then he goes on and he outlines some of those areas where we are to submit under the leadership that he has put in place. I mean, you look at it, you just go down through Ephesians 5 verse 22. He begins to talk about wives. Then he begins to talk about husbands. In chapter 6, verse 1, he talks about children and parents. He goes all the way over to verse 9. He talks about slaves and masters. 
He qualifies it. He says it's not just this blanket, nobody's in charge, everybody submits. I mean, that's a recipe for disaster. Instead, it is you submit to the leadership, the authority that I have placed over you. I've got to tell you, I think this is one of the areas that I think a lot of churches really, really struggle with. I believe that this is probably one of the key issues that's causing a whole lot of trouble in a lot of our churches. This area of authority and submission. Um, even in saying that, you are looking at me saying, well, he's just, you know, he's the pastor up there. He just wants us to all submit to him. And, and uh, um, that's not true. The Bible does speak to that, that God gives pastors to churches and instructs the believers in the church to submit to those who lead you um, because they will give an account for your soul. It does speak to that, and so we can't wipe that off the table. But I'm not up here telling you that I want to be a dictator and I want to just run things and you should just line up under me and I do whatever I say. I don't want that at all. At all, I don't want that. But we can't wipe it under the rug that he does call us to submit to the leadership that he has placed over us. And he says here that more than just to do it, that it is a mark of a spirit-filled person. And so, really, the, um, the conclusion would be that where a person is unwilling to submit to the authority, the God-given authority over them, that that person is behaving in a way that is inappropriate. Remember? Debauchery. My children are over here. I picked on them this morning. I'll just continue tonight. But their responsibility is to obey me. I don't care what you do with your mom. I'm just kidding. You got to obey your mom too. And honor, honor us as your parents. Well, why? Because we are God's representative in their lives. My wife, like it or not, and this is not very popular, here in Ephesians chapter 5, it points out that she is to submit to my leadership. She could just buck up at home and say, I ain't going to do it. Truth be known, that's really what happened right here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Which, by the way, I've got to tell you this. Time out for a second in the sermon. Lana was back in the nursery this morning working with the children, and she wanted to see if I was nearing the end of the service to get ready to, to pack the kids up and that sort of thing. So she turned the speaker up back there just to see where I was. You know where she turned the speaker up? Right when I said, y'all pray for my wife because she has issues. <laughs> Which I thought was wonderful. My, my point is this. My wife, her response is not, well, who does he think he is? No, my wife's response is, that's correct. Why? Because she's trying to obey what the Scripture says. And that's the mark of a Spirit-filled believer. It's lining up under that. It's, it's submitting. It's a humility that puts us in our place. 
The only way that can happen is if the Spirit does fill you. Because that's not natural. It's not natural for someone to give you instructions and for you just to say, sure. I mean, my natural reaction is police officer pulls me over and he says, license and registration, please. And I want to say, well, why? I mean, officer, I wasn't speeding. What's the problem? Now, my reaction should be, yes, sir. But that's not always the case. Our natural reaction is not always to submit to the authority put over us. The only way that can happen is if the Spirit fills us, which is what Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23 is all about, when it says the fruits of the Spirit are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. The Spirit produces those things in us so that when the authority over us gives us instruction, it produces a humility. It produces love and kindness and joy and patience and faithfulness and all those things. That's the third mark, is the Spirit gives humility that puts us in our place. Let me just give you three more quickly. I won't spend nearly as much time on those. A fourth one is this, that the Spirit, being Spirit-filled, gives us a greater thirst for an understanding of the Scriptures. When we are living Spirit-filled lives, we have a greater thirst, a greater hunger to know the Word of God. And we have a, a better capability of understanding it. Why? Because the Spirit is our teacher. Turn, if you will, to John chapter 16. John 16, verses 12 and 13. Jesus giving instructions here to his disciples, giving them instructions about the work of the Holy Spirit. In verse 12 of John 16, he says, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The reality is that that was a specific promise to a specific group of individuals, those disciples, the apostles. But the ministry of the Holy Spirit is really, in some ways, the same for you and I. While there will be no new revelation, the canon of Scripture is closed, there's not going to be another book. I mean, you know, I don't care how much he wants to. If Erskine comes and says, hey, I've got this great word from God, I think we should just tuck it in the back there. There's not going to be, after Revelation, the book of Erskine. It ain't going to happen. Sorry, Erskine. You good? But the, but the Spirit does come and teach us. And when we are yielded to God, depending on Him, obedient to what we find in the Scripture, more is revealed to us. Which, by the way, if we never obeyed Scripture, why would God show us anything else? Why is He going to give us any other revelation if we don't obey what He first gives us? It's what He says when He, when he said to the one who can be trusted with little is given more. Even your knowledge, your study, is an issue of stewardship. Uh, fifth mark is a greater empowering and effectiveness in ministry. When we're Spirit-filled, the Spirit fills us 
to empower us to do ministry. That's what Acts 1-8 is all about when he was telling them that you'll receive the Spirit. And when you do, you'll be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. And that's exactly what happened. If you follow the book of Acts, if you read the book of Acts, you see that happen. Why? Because the Spirit came on them. And even though God used some unorthodox things, we would say, persecution of the church, the stoning of Stephen, that ultimately led to the scattering of believers, the Spirit was what empowered and equipped them for the the work of the the gospel. When we are Spirit-filled, we are more effective in our witness and in ministry. Number six is this, greater power over sin. Greater power to defeat temptation and sin. Uh, Romans 8, chapter 11 uh, speaks to this. I made mention of it this morning. It would be a good one to underline in your Bible. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. When, when we are yielded to God, dependent on Him, obeying in His strength in our mortal bodies, the Bible here says that, that we are given power in obedience. We are the, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us to defeat sin in us. Don't ever get to the point, I talked about this last week, don't ever say, well, I've just always had a bad temper. I'm just going to have to learn to live with it. People are going to just have to get to, get to know me and they've they got to like it or leave it. That's just who I am. Now, for a Christian, you don't have to stay in that. The same spirit that lives, that, that raised Christ from the dead lives in you to give you the ability to conquer that sin. Those are just some marks of the spirit-filled life. There are many others, but I, I would take some time and ask yourself, are these things in me? Um, do I have this song that has to be sung? Do I have an overall gratitude always and in everything? Do I, do I express a humility that puts me in my place? Do I, do I have, am I, am I conquering these sins in my life? Do I have this greater thirst and understanding for the, for the Scriptures? Am I effective in witness and ministry? Now, you won't always be all of those things. But God willing, as we submit, yield ourselves to God, we will be growing in all of those things by the Spirit's help. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much, God, for the, the Holy Spirit. That uh, when you went away, the Spirit came. The Spirit now lives in us. That we we don't have to walk through life in our own power, in our own strength, just waiting for someday. But God, we live right now in the power of the Spirit. God, I pray that you would make us people that are more and more Spirit-filled that we would be more and more yielded and dependent and obedient in our walk with you. And God, that you would transform us from the inside out. And God, that overall, that 
as you look out at the congregation here at Abner Creek, that you would transform this church through that process as well. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.